This is MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast discussing everything about J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. Welcome to episode 351 of MuggleCast. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And we're joined by one of our Slug Club patrons this week. Hi, Ashley. Welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Where are you recording from today, and uh, how long have you been a listener? So I'm recording from Jasper, Alberta. So Jasper is the town of Jasper within Jasper National Park in Alberta, Canada. So right in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. And I've been listening since I was 13. So I think that's probably the year you guys started. I'm 25 now. Oh, awesome. Wow. Wow. Wait, so you like live in a national park? Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, we live in in the the town within it. So like, I don't know if you've heard of like Banff. So there's like Banff National Park and then also like the town of Banff itself. Banff? B-A-M-F? B-A-N-F-F. Like the acronym. Oh, I was like, okay, I was thinking of something different. You were thinking of bad blank, mother blank. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yes, I was. Bam. Yes. And you know what? That's fitting because that you're from there because we were talking about bad mothers on this week's discussion. Ah. Ooh. Yes, that's true. That's I maybe will say, though, this is a big responsibility because you're the first guest host of 2018. Ooh, that is true. I didn't think about that. So don't mess up. Okay, I'll try. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> Probably the first person on MuggleCast to record from a national park, which is pretty cool, I would say. I will uh, wear that badge with pride. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, high school parking lots are one thing, but <laughs> national parks are, are another. Pretty cool. So let's get your fandom ID. What's your favorite book and movie? So my favorite book is like a toss-up between... Like probably the last like ten chapters of Prisoner of Azkaban or all of Goblet of Fire. Ooh, interesting answer. Ooh. I just like I remember when I was younger and reading Prisoner of Azkaban for the first time. I just really liked those section of chapters where everything kind of falls together with like Sirius and Lupin and how they all know each other. And so I used to sometimes I used to just reread that part of the book. But then I really really like all of Goblet of Fire. And what's your favorite movie? I want to say Half Blood Prince, but then I rewatched it yesterday and I found myself questioning that. <laughs> Why? I don't know. There was just, I think actually it had a lot to do with Dumbledore, but I don't mean like Michael Gambon's Dumbledore. I mean, like I found myself watching it and thinking like, this is a lot for a professor to ask of a student. Like I just started, I think I started to think about like the effect Dumbledore had on Harry and the things that he withheld and didn't a lot more than I ever really had as I'd been reading the series. What are your Hogwarts and Ilvermorny houses? So... The first time I did the Pottermore quiz, uh, like when it came out the first time, I was sorted into Gryffindor, which I identified with at the time. And then I've since been resorted into Ravenclaw, which I identify with now. Okay. So it sounds like it worked out. Yeah, it did. And then Ilvermorny, I'm a Thunderbird. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Nice. What's your favorite birdie bot every flavor bean? Ooh. I haven't had them in so long. I like there's like a popcorn flavored one, but there was also like a kind of like lemony one that I enjoyed, but was kind of like risky. Yeah. To go for. (laughs) They're all a little risky because they're not always (laughs) color correspondent. True. I'm not sure if I've ever had them either because I hate jelly beans. I know I've had them. While you're ahead, Andrew. So long. Who's your favorite? And this kind of relates to our discussion later in today's episode. Who's your favorite enemy in the Harry Potter Oh, I didn't see that that got tossed in there. Surprise. Yeah, I know I have to think about it. About she's like who Canada. it is. You know what I think it's Bell I think it's Bellatrix. Okay. Yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah. Have you read Cursed Child? I have. Have you seen it? I have not. 
Okay. So with that, what would you grade it? You know what? I think I would give it like, I'm going to go like a, a low grade B, B minus just okay. because like from reading it, I don't, I didn't enjoy it for a lot of what I felt it had to offer in terms of content, but I enjoyed it for the fact that it was another Harry Potter book. Yeah. Fair enough. And like, so that excitement was there when you didn't really expect it. Yeah. Since you are on the same continent, do you plan on seeing it on Broadway? If I don't think I would, I'm going to travel to New York strictly with that intent. But if something brings me that way yeah, and tickets are available, then it's something that I would for sure look into. Okay, cool. Yeah. All good answers. Well, thank you for your support on Patreon. Thanks uh, for being a longtime listener. Oh, yeah. Thank you. And from podcasting from a national park. Love it. Thanks for everything. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, bye. No. (laughs) We're done. (laughs) Nice meeting you. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. You did great, by the way. I tried. You talked just as much as we wanted you to. (laughs) (laughs) Now be quiet. So let's talk about some news. We have a variety of things to talk about today. We'll start out with some nice news. Jude Law was on the Golden Globes red carpet last weekend, and he was asked about Fantastic Beasts and the Crimes of Grindelwald, and he didn't get into many details, which is not to be uh, unexpected. He has been asked to keep things under wraps, but he did say something interesting about preparing for the role. He said that he sat in a room for an afternoon with J.K. Rowling and listened to her extraordinary words of wisdom to learn everything about Dumbledore. He says, quote, she was kind enough to share with me the whole backstory and her future hopes for this young character of Dumbledore. And really, that set me on the path. I just did what the writer said. Isn't that nice? I feel like this is a lot more preparation already than Michael Gambon ever did. Well, immediately, yes. The bar is extremely low on that. He was he was notorious for saying that like he had never read a book and all this other stuff. So, yes. 100% yes. Also, I find it so interesting that J.K. Rowling has these, you know, specific plans for this younger version character. Because, I mean, eventually Dumbledore dies and Harry's arrow, we know this. But she's got, I guess clearly an arc in mind for for his character so that's kind of cool to get and this other stuff reminds me of you know sitting in a room with jk rowling reminds me of things that all the other actors have said from the harry potter films as well like alan rickman famously was given snape's he was like one of three people on the planet for several years who knew snape's true intentions and motivations and it allowed him to play the role so it was super super important but yeah like the secrets and all the the value in knowing everything there is to know. Jude Law is now one of uh, you know one of the few people on the planet who really knows the level of intricacy and involvement with Grindelwald that we are yet to see in these next four films. I'm not going to let you dog Michael Gambon though, because I'll actually and this may be going back on things that I've said over the years uh, in previous episodes, but I think he actually got better as the series went on. I thought. Too many people point out that one scene in Goblet of Fire where he throws <laughs> Harry against the uh, trophy case. It's a pretty bad scene, Mike. It's a terrible scene. <laughs> but is that Michael Gambon or is that Mike Newell giving the direction to Michael Gambon? I had sort of a crisis moment watching the Half-Blood Prince film because actually I felt like in Half-Blood Prince, Dumbledore is pretty close to, to my book, Dumbledore. So I thought it, uh, he definitely improved. I completely agree with that with both of you. But I think just from a preparation standpoint, I think 
Jude Law is probably already far and away ahead of Michael Gambon, and maybe, God bless him, Richard Harris. I just think it's very significant. Well, you're dealing with different stages in Dumbledore's life, too. Yeah. I think we were all taken initially with Richard Harris playing that role, and we got so accustomed to that whimsical, older version of, of Dumbledore, and then Michael Gambon came in, and it was completely different direction. Now, this this is a younger version of Dumbledore. This this is him teaching at Hogwarts, still in his younger years. And it sounds like Jude Law has done good preparation and sitting down with J.K. Rowling and learning more about him. Seems like he's interested in the role. You know, some people would be like, well, they called me last last April and said, would you like to be Dumbledore? And I said, of course. You know, it's instead of that, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting down having coffee with Joe and learning the entire history. And the whole I'm just doing what the author wrote quote is like... I'm a servant to her genius. So it's pretty cool. On to some other news now. This is interesting. So uh, last year, we found out that for the 20th anniversary, Bloomsbury, the UK publisher of the Harry Potter books, was going to do a uh, going to do house editions of Philosopher's Stone. And yes, here we go again. There are now going to be Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets house editions. And that's not all. Bloomsbury confirmed that they are going to be doing house editions of each book in the series. This year's will be timed with the 20th anniversary of Chamber of Secrets, which was published July 2nd, 1998. (laughs) So weird. And this book will be out June 28th, 2018. It looks great i would have preferred they just left it i love the philosopher stone's house editions we all have them i just they're very nice collector items it's cool that you can have philosopher stone in your house colors but do we need the whole series this way i don't know well i was gonna say if you have that um sound bite of a cash register can you ring it 24 times so six <laughs> more books four houses each <laughs> that's what's happening <laughs> here no i mean i agree with you i I do like the house editions. I'm interested to see what Scholastic is going to do um, off of Bloomsbury's idea. There you go. Although that's tied to a a certain individual. I don't even want to talk about on the show. Worse than Voldemort. (laughs) Ashley, what do you think? Do you have the the house edition? So I, I don't. I guess not that I wouldn't, but it just, I guess, hasn't really appealed to me. I kind of feel like I know... I know what house I I belong in and I don't need them. I'm also really attached to my like copies of the original series just for like the wear and tear that you can see in them and just a testament to how much I enjoyed them. Oh, well, um, that's coming out this year as well. They're going to be publishing wear and tear editions. So people like you can get exactly <laughs> what you're looking for. <laughs> but I've already got it and, it and it's worth so much more to me. This 20th anniversary of- edition feels like it's 20 years old. <laughs> feels like you've read it a hundred times i did have a question though so like the are they just because they have like the i'm looking at like the ravenclaw and the gryffindor and they have like the um, the color on the paper itself but is it just like a foil trim like the whole page isn't yes it's just a foil trim. yeah yeah, no that that would be be impossible to read yeah (laughs) white font rolling around but speaking of colors though they've actually reversed this is a little bit of controversy. They actually changed Bloomsbury UK between the hardback and the paperback covers in the UK. I guess the covers of the paperbacks for the first book are not black, are not stark black like they were 
the hardbacks that I think we all bought. I could be getting this backwards. So instead of the page covers, the covers themselves are going to be house colors in the paperback. And the, but with Chamber of Secrets, they've swapped it. So even if we buy the same exact versions, like paperback or hardcover, of the first or of the second one that we did the first one, it's going to look completely different. They've actually done like a switcheroo on it. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, thank God. So Bloomsbury UK, it was really hard to explain just that. He's referring to the paperback editions. I actually don't like that the Sorcerer's Philosopher's Stone paperback editions. It's all red. The cover's red. The pages are lined with red. It's just a block of red for Gryffindor. And so the books themselves on the cover, are, are if you have all seven books on the shelves, they're going to look ridiculous. However, that's not how Bloomsbury UK feels on Twitter. Some guy named Lars T said, may I ask why you have swapped the color scheme of hardbacks and paperbacks? Bloomsbury UK says, the house editions of the remaining five novels will alternate between black and house colors for the paperbacks and hardbacks to create a beautiful set for your bookshelf. I kind of like that, actually. So add another four. I can't do the math anymore. So collectors are just going to be... Money, 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 money. Yeah. Well, one thing I thought would be cool, though, for Chamber of Secrets, what if they did, and Bloomsbury, Scholastic, if you're listening, a Tom Riddle diary version of the cover of Chamber of Secrets? 30th anniversary edition. (laughs) Meanwhile, the Philosopher's Stone house editions had uh, house founder info in, in... each book pertaining to that particular house these will not but they will have some new ish not new but just some information about chamber secrets but i don't think it doesn't sound like it's going to be specific to the houses to the house that you buy you know i'm going to go out on a limb and say that these the special info in front of chamber will double down on the flitwick mcgonagall relationship or flitwick sprout yeah that would be funny I do like that the covers, each cover, so it it has the snakes in the middle to represent the door to the Chamber of Secrets. And then around that, each house edition has different graphics, which is kind of nice. That is cool. And Eric, just going off of what you said, Megan texted us and wanted to know our thoughts about what they're going to include in the new Chamber House editions. What other house-specific facts are there? to put in, will there be more reaching from unofficial tweets? Hmm. Probably. Well, hopefully no more unofficial tweets, but I think there will be some nice information in there. I don't know. Anybody feeling like they'll buy all seven house editions? Definitely not. I actually feel really comfortable saying that. I quite enjoy my house edition. I have the Hufflepuff Philosopher's Stone, but I feel like it's more of a novelty if you just have the first book. And not, and not all seven, because it's like, oh, that's my copy that's, if I'm feeling particularly Hufflepuff, I'll go, be, but if I'm feeling Hufflepuff, odds are I'm reading book one. But how are you going to review it on the show then? <laughs> We're just the not going to review it. Well, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to get out one of my old books that are the exact same books and then pretend like I'm reading a copy that has colored pages. Right. He has the 20th anniversary edition, Wear and Tear. Yeah, yeah I have the, I have the war, <laughs> I have those special well-loved editions. Yeah, so I'm with Eric. I think I don't need more than one complete set of the books. I like the novelty, like you said, of the one book that is my house colors. <laughs> I bought the Gryffindor and Slytherin editions because I can't decide. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I just uh, I don't think I'll buy these other ones. Meanwhile, we're hitting 20 years in the U.S. 
this year. It was 20 years last year in the UK, 20 years this year for this year is the 20th anniversary for Sorcerer's Stone. Scholastic hasn't announced their plans, but they've teased they're going to be doing something. I would assume they're going to be doing house editions as well because these were really popular. So we'll see. It'd be crazy not to, I think. All right, we have some more news to get to, but first we have a new sponsor this year, eHarmony. If you've tried or are trying online dating, chances are you've run into lazy text messages, dead-end conversations, and random matches that don't turn into dates. A lot of us have been there, (laughs) myself included. (laughs) But eHarmony is different. I actually recently tried it myself, made an account, went through the matching process. What's different about eHarmony compared to other sites or apps is that they carefully look at your personal traits. When you sign up, you're presented with single words like patient, for example, or simple questions that you respond to in an I agree or I disagree format. I've been on all the apps and sites, and the way they do things is actually very different. They are built to help you find a lasting, meaningful relationship. This is not a shallow hookup site. They've helped over a million people find their perfect match because eHarmony uses years and years of science, data, and psychological research to send you the right matches. Right now, listeners of MuggleCast can get a free month with eHarmony when they sign up for a three-month subscription. And this is why eHarmony is different and better than the others. Only people who subscribe to it are using it, meaning you're getting people who are actually serious about finding a match. Anybody can download these apps, you know, and swipe for five seconds and hook up or date. It's, you don't know what people are looking for. On eHarmony, it's dating. People who are serious about finding a match. So get a free month with eHarmony when you sign up for a three-month trial. Just enter code MuggleCast at checkout. Stop waiting and start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship it can be fun to play around with online dating apps, but when you're ready to fall in love with somebody and have a meaningful relationship, there's one app that's built to bring you real love, and that is eHarmony. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com and get started. Enter our code MuggleCast at checkout. All right, some more news here. So another reason to go back to Universal Orlando this year. They're doing a nighttime show at Hogwarts Castle for all of 2018. Or for a lot of 2018. They're going to be doing this new show called The Nighttime Lights at Hogwarts Castle. It is kicking off January 31st. And actually people who go to a celebration of Harry Potter. That's the Harry Potter official Harry Potter conference of sorts. That's coming up later this month. They're going to get a preview of it. The show, quote, will wrap Hogwarts Castle in a dazzling display celebrating the four houses of Hogwarts. Uh, guests will watch in awe as the spirits and iconic elements of each house are brought to life on the majestic castle, all set to the incredible music based on the original scores from the Harry Potter films. This show is actually, they created this for Universal Hollywood for the grand opening. And I saw this firsthand. It's gorgeous. You can also watch it on YouTube. But it's cool. They're, they're giving people a reason to come back to Wizarding World before that next expansion opens. <laughs> yeah. I think this is great. And clearly, the we talked to uh, just a couple episodes ago, was it Michael Aiello, head of uh, Universal Creative for the Parks? And, uh, you know, he was talking about the technology involved in doing a, a projection show or, you know, the show on the castle. They have something like the geography of the castle, actually projecting something onto a non-flat surface is super, super involved. So I'm sure it costs lots of money as well. So it makes sense that they're continuing to do different an updated 
light shows and the like. Like it just makes sense. They have the technology now, so it's like, well, let's let's do this. Let's let's go all in. Yeah, especially coming off of what they did during the holidays, I think it's just an easy way for them to continue to uh, draw people in, as Andrew said. Have you been to the parks, Megan? Ashley? No, I have not. Oh, you gotta go. Yeah, I know. It's on like a, it's on my list of things to do. They just need to part, put the Broadway show down in Orlando. Yeah. And people <laughs> and can knock can out two birds with one stone. Yeah. 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 Just bang them both but out. But Andrew, she lives, she lives in a park, though. So I... <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I wouldn't bring it to her. her. I just wonder, like, you gotta think, though, if Cursed Child tours which you think you would think it would at some point it should go through florida and that would be like the best time for people to go like people like you ashley (laughs) yeah yeah i mean (laughs) it would be more ideal if it came to like toronto i guess yeah fine so you don't have to go as far (laughs) fine speaking of cursed child rehearsals are now underway on broadway they released photos of the original cast from the west end back in the saddle it's nice to see them in their roles again but i'm also like looking at these pictures watching them rehearsing and thinking and talking and i'm like i mean they already did this so what (laughs) what do they need to learn (laughs) but it's cool to see everybody back in action is the owl there (laughs) you're such a troll i wanted to ask about that because i watched the little video that it posted this morning so maybe i'm just not clear when it's coming to broadway is it so the original cast from the UK is performing and then the supporting cast are they like from the states? So the supporting cast is new. Yeah. There's like seven from the original cast, all the big ones, Harry Ron yeah. Hermione, you know. But yeah, they were all on the West End. So they're all coming over to Yeah, and probably okay. just sticking around for like a year like they did in London. Okay. I find it really interesting if the supporting cast are Americans having to do British accents, but I'm just not sure. I'm wondering that too. I'm assuming and maybe someone with more of a Broadway background could tell us, but I'm assuming that on Broadway, you're encouraged to get American actors for most of your cast. The leads I can understand, you know, maybe you need some big names there. So you get people from outside the country, but I would assume that, for union purposes, I don't know. You would do that. If you were to cast those lead roles with American actors, do you, like Eric just mentioned, doing accents, do you do accents and risk them being rough? Or do you just do have everyone speak as, as they would, I guess, without an accent, and that way you're not creating an illusion that might fall flat? I mean, if Harry, Ron, and Hermione don't have British accents, I'm walking out of the theater. You can't get by it, though, if the whole... No, I mean, it's Harry Potter yeah, it's set true. in London. you got to be as realistic as possible. I know it's a fantasy play. I mean, the thing is, most of the actors on Broadway today are British or from other countries that aren't America anyway. America has a huge Anglo obsession. And people like Andrew Garfield on Broadway, like they're not Americans and they they haven't been for a very long time. I think it's more likely that the supporting cast may have even been sourced from London, to be honest. But I mean, there it, since it's Broadway and you mentioned the Actors Union and, and all this stuff, I'm sure. But like there's not many roles for like, you know, small speaking parts. I think most of it will be – I keep thinking this is a musical. There's no dancing, right? Well, there's uh... – choreographed movements i wouldn't call it dancing they do fun things with suitcases (laughs) 
<laughs> for transitions. Okay. All right. <laughs> and I think we should just be careful about how we frame this because you could have a British accent and be American. I think we're just talking about we want you're saying that you want all of those that are in this show to have a natural British accent. Is that fair to say? I think so. Yeah. Right, Ashley. You know what? Gosh, I am correcting myself right now before I get thousands of hate mail. Andrew Garfield is from California. Yeah, I was going to say, why did you think he was British? I have no idea. I have no idea at all. One more news item to talk about this week. Dan Radcliffe has waded into this Johnny Depp debate. He was asked by EW about it. He said it is, quote, a very hard thing, end quote, for him to think about. And then he said, quote, I can see why people are frustrated with the response that they were given from that. I'm not saying anything that anybody hasn't already said, and this is a weird analogy to draw, but in the NFL, there are lots of players arrested for smoking weed, and there's other people's behavior that goes way beyond that, and it's tolerated because they're very famous players. I suppose the thing I was struck by was, we did have a guy who was reprimanded for weed on the original Potter film, essentially, so obviously what Johnny has been accused of is much greater than that. End quote. So he's referring to crab actor Jamie Waylett, who was caught growing marijuana plants in 2009, and he didn't come back for the Deathly Hallows films. He was replaced, well, I can't, I don't know the actor's name, but a character named Blaze Zabini, he took over as like the crab role. So he was with Draco and Goyle. That was like the new enemy trio. So Dan Radcliffe's point is interesting. I don't know if he developed that himself or he had read feedback because there's been a lot of people online saying the same thing. The Harry Potter films kicked somebody out essentially just for weed. And then Johnny Depp had these serious accusations. Now, there has been no arrest like there was with Jamie Waylett, but still very serious accusations. And I think a lot of people could easily argue that allegedly being abusive towards your wife is worse than growing some weed plants, man. The interesting thing was it was uh, Dan Radcliffe as well that had the quote about football players, right? Yeah. And he said, you know, the more popular the athlete, they get away with much worse stuff than marijuana. And so I think that speaks directly to his feelings. I mean, Johnny Depp is too big to remove. Yeah, that is a very unfortunate part of this equation, I think. I think if new accusations came out, they would get rid of them. But since, in David Yates's words, it was just one person having a go at him, then it's uh, they can just kind of attempt to move past it. But I couldn't help but laugh when I saw that Dan Radcliffe was quoted, was talking about this now. They can't move past this. Every couple of weeks, something else comes out. And it's surprising that Jude Law wasn't asked about it in that interview that you mentioned earlier. And I think they're going to have to really worry about this when you get to premiere time, because there's not going to be a cast member or a crew member that walks the red carpet at the Fantastic Beasts 2 premiere that isn't going to be asked this question. And you wonder... Will Johnny Depp not show up? You know, assuming there's going to be a London premiere, assuming there's going to be one here in the States, whether it's here in New York or out in Los Angeles, they're going to have to figure this out. He can show up, but just not walk the carpet. 
sometimes people do that just to avoid press. I predict that uh, this will be a what's the word like a you, you like a refused a few refused question like you it's off. Yeah, I don't like want to comment on that about, that type of. Yeah, thing. exactly. Like any any news outlet that dares ask this on the red carpet for the premiere of the next Fantastic Beast film will simply not be invited back to future Warner Brothers pictures. Films, <laughs> well, guaranteed. that would be that would cause a big stir. <laughs> well, I mean, eh, how big is stir, right? I mean, they're yeah. These are some of the most powerful people in the world. Yeah. I was going to say one other thing. Oh, um, WB could coach the actors on what to say. They could hire some PR people to help them come up with the right answers to this. To like, They may to, want to start with David Yates. To, right. To answer it, but not really answer it. Sort of like what J.K. Rowling did. Like She didn't really address any of the accusations or get into specifics. It was kind of a big nothing burger of a, of a statement. So anyway, I liked Dan Radcliffe's statement. I thought it was thoughtful. I think you brought up a good point about the NFL. And uh, not so bad of a point about Jamie Waylett either. All right. So we have a couple of discussions to do today. First, we're going to do one by Ashley. And then a little later, we're going to talk about the Gaunts. So Ashley, I hope you don't mind kind of going through this, kind of leading this. You wanted to talk about Jacob and recovering his memory? Yeah. So I wanted to look at memory charms and I should preface so the reason that I kind of felt my thoughts going this way was because of a still that was released from the upcoming film of Newt and Jacob together and I think it was in the hypable post with it that discussed that at the end of the film Jacob's memory had been erased but there was kind of a suggestion that it might be restored given that they are together and so I just wanted to look a little bit at memory charms as we've seen them before and what we know about them and kind of just like discuss how that might be that his memory could be regained based on what we know or have seen from the original series. I know we talked a little bit about this on episode 319, our Jacob character discussion. It seems to be, it's definitely a hot topic or a hot button issue of how can Jacob continue moving forward to be in these films? And will he fully remember? Will he make a full recovery to what happened to him? Or is he simply going to refriend them? Yeah, which is which is kind of one of the questions that I have. And so, like, first, a memory charm, according to Pottermore, is, I'm sure as we all know, a spell that can erase the memory of someone partially or completely. So it can erase just a, a specific event or length of, of time. And then I wanted to look at other victims of memory charms that we know of. So, like, Gildery Lockhart would be one for sure. Also, there's like, another notable one would be Bertha Jorkins. I kind of list those two as maybe the most significant to the discussion. But then also Marietta Edgecombe, when Kingsley Shackpole obliviates her just before she can answer about Dumbledore's army in Order of Phoenix. And then there's a handful of Death Eaters that, from Hermione and Deathly Hollows, and then the Muggles at the campsite for the Quidditch World Cup, just to name a few. And for what maybe it's worth noting that none of these people seem to have ever recovered their memories from that. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's kind of why I had uh, Gildery Lockhart and Bertha Jorkins kind of like asterisked as uh, significant ones there. So going on from that, though, just looking at like how a memory charm can be broken. So the suggestion is that extreme torture would be the way to go about that. So with Bertha Jorkins, we know that Voldemort tortured her to regain the information about Barty Crouch Jr., but that it was so much that her mind was beyond repair. And then the only other time we see it at least that we know of with Gildery Lockhart. There's no torture involved, but he seems to regain some qualities associated with the memories that he's lost. So like he knows that 
he likes signing autographs, though doesn't know necessarily that that's related to the fame that he once had. I would like to believe that there's a non-torturous way to remove a memory charm. Yeah, so that's kind of what I wanted to get to. So assuming that Jacob's not tortured, how else could his memory be regained? Well, I, I think it's up. important to, like, he did not have a memory charm. He didn't, no. So it was the swooping evil. He stepped out into the rain from the swooping evil. And that substance alone is only said to ward off bad memories. Right. Um, or to erase bad oh. memories. So then there's the subjectivity. There's the subjectivity of, because his time with the trio, the or the quartet, his time in the quartet, was positive experience on the whole, that he would innately not forget everything to begin with. That's actually a really good point. I didn't think of that. kind of adds a new dimension to it yeah that is a good point but when you do see him in that final shot he doesn't really seem to remember them at all but there's obvious yeah not at all but there's There's obviously something coming through yeah Yeah. well the final shot there's a it it seems like he has a, a moment of recognition you're talking about when he's leaving them at the subway station he seems to have no clue but when he's inside his bakery and you see all the different pastries that he's created. And then Queenie walks in and he feels over by his neck. You know, I also wonder from that Mertlap bite, did something prevent him from having his memory completely erased? Um, oh, yeah. What- Mertlap venom could interfere with the swooping evil uh, toxin. And <laughs> one other thing I wanted to go off of what Ashley said about Hermione earlier, she didn't just erase the memory of Death Eater, she erased the memory of her parents. And I'm assuming that she restored the memory of her parents after yeah, the so battle. I, so that did come up while I was just kind of doing a little bit of research and was reading about it. So at a point in Deathly Hollows, when she does use Obliviate on the Death Eater, she said she's never used that spell before, or it was her first time using it, which suggests that whatever she did to her parents was not the Obliviate charm as we know it. So I was reading, and there is also like a false memory charm as well, where you can just put false like memories into somebody's head over top of what actually happened. Thing, from what I gathered, anyways. And it it would have been almost too much of a charm to remove every trace of your daughter, who you know you'd you'd lived with for fifteen years. She must have done something way more complex and terrible. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, like, erasing her completely is definitely, kind of, I think, the vibe that the film gives. But I think the book leaves some room for that to not necessarily be the case. Well, she was trying to prevent her her parents from being found yes. and tortured and, and killed. So I think it, she probably did a thorough job of removing herself. But J.K. Rowling did, in fact, say in an interview that uh, Hermione was able to reverse it, whatever she did. Uh, going back to just about the end of the film, I think... Just um, seeing it as a recognition. I think I'd always read the end of the film in Fantastic Beasts, rather. Not as necessarily as recognition. I Obviously, like, the touching of the back of his neck is, like, connecting something there. But I always kind of thought it was coincidental, at least the way I read it. And then that, like, the when he looks at Queenie, it's more of just, like, a flirtatious interest in the same way that it would have been if he remembered, if that makes sense. Like, that's kind of how I read it. But it is interesting to look at it as more of a kind of recalling. I think it was a recalling, but I can totally see that situation. Like you see it in movies sometimes when you like come up to a person you're interested in and you kind of reach behind your head and scratch your neck and you're like, hey, what's your name? Yeah. yeah. But we know that you know this was due to, as you guys mentioned, the I don't know if it's the venom of the swooping evil, something that was extracted from it that the Thunderbird just 
rains down on all of New York City. Is there sort of the antidote to that? Is there something counter that Queenie or Newt or Tina can give to Jacob that would instantaneously restore his memory of of what happened? Yeah. And that's kind of what I was wondering too. Like, do we think that he will regain his memory uh, in full in the film of, of the previous events, or could it kind of be like a plot line that like Eric said earlier, that he's kind of regaining or re-meeting them all over again. And is that preferential? I don't think it's preferential. One situation I could see that I don't want, but that I could see is some sort of like montage where like, they're bringing Jacob back to speed, but I do not like David Yates montages in the <laughs> Harry Potter movies. So I'm definitely hoping that doesn't happen. And just sort of looking at this still that's been released, and I guess we'll get more clues as more stills come out, but it just looks like normal Jacob to me. It looks like he's back to normal. He doesn't look like unaware of where he is or he looks confident. You know what I mean? The issue also that we haven't talked about yet is that, I mean, the whole reason Jacob had to have his memory erased anyway was because the president ordered it. President Pickery demanded that he have his memory erased as per the highly intense and specific rules relating to the Muggle and, and or Nomadge wizard relationship. It, it's for protection. It's for national security. So they had to erase his memory. Now, if he were to turn out to not have been affected at all or... They can just sit down with him one afternoon and tell him they're kind of going against the law in that small instance. They're outlaws if they bring Jacob back up to speed for the past events, and then they're not so much if they simply start fresh. Well, maybe they can go to Makuza and Queenie can be like, I love him. Please bring him back to me. Plus, they're going to be leaving America, so maybe they don't have to worry about that. Maybe they're on the run. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe Newt can get a favor called in since he uh, got Grindelwald. Well, I think, nevertheless, Madame Pickery cannot know or find out that Jacob the Nomage is traipsing around with wizards again because that would be a breach of their law. Well, they're not in the U.S. Right, but the second they come back. Well, they're probably not. Going they might to. not come back. Yeah, it seems like each film's going to be in a well, different. I mean, he's country. got a bakery. He's got a business to run. That's I true. mean, Jacob. Yeah. Yeah. Who was running that business while he's overseas? I hate to see that bakery close. His wife. Yeah. He doesn't. Oh yeah. <laughs> his wife. So <laughs> his ex-wife? You mean? Yeah, I guess so. That would be the case. <laughs> the one who turns him down. Who was totally cut out of the movie? Poor yeah. girl. Yeah. <laughs> So one other thing I was thinking was maybe J.K. Rowling will offer further information on memory charms on Pottermore in the lead up to Fantastic Beasts Crimes of Grindelwald. Sort of like how she released this new information on these other wizarding schools before the first Fantastic Beasts movie came out. Because J.K. Rowling loves getting into the details, lucky for us readers, and this was also making me think that this might come up time and time again through the next few movies. She might want to say more about certain things, but she just doesn't have time because she's working with a movie script compared to a set of a book and a book. You can be much more detailed. So we might be seeing these notes come through and notes come through on Pottermore. So maybe she'll educate us. Although on the other hand, that could be a little bit of a spoiler maybe. So 
if she's like, yeah, guys, let's talk about memory charms for no particular reason. I'm posting this on Pottermore right now. Well, memories, we actually see a lot of memory related stuff, not just due to the memory charms and the examples that you've researched here, but because of the pensive. And we see Slughorn being able to alter memories, which I don't know how the heck that works. And the idea of the pensive to begin with is removing memories from your from your head so that you don't have to think about them. Dumbledore's got hundreds of things to worry about, and I'm sure he has like a cachet of memories that he just that just aren't in his head at all so that he can concentrate. Isn't that an odd concept? Just in the simple sense that if he remove you know, you remove the memory from your head, but then you have to remember the memory to be able to revisit it in the pensive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, or you're like rediscovering it when you go in yeah to it it's yeah it's very weird because he had like in order or in order to the phoenix half-blood prince he would have had to have been aware of his memory of meeting young tom riddle despite having in order had to be it. able to f- frame it for harry yeah definitely anything else you want to bring up ashley before we move on no i think that was those are actually a really good discussion those were some points that cool. i didn't even think of. yeah hey you're good at this i try anyway <laughs> Not bad for a Starting first time. Starting 2018 Well, I mean, I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's see how Eric does now. So, Eric, you wanted to talk about the Gaunts, right? Yeah. So, we mentioned on last week's episode 350 that over the holiday break we had, uh, there was a birthday that we uh, didn't celebrate. In fact, I think we were all together on this birthday, and we didn't raise a glass to dear old Voldemort. Well, well we celebrated just now. Why would we celebrate? Birthday. Well, that's a good question being who he is and doing what he did. But yes, Tom Riddle Jr. I did cry on New Year's Eve, so I guess that kind of was a way of <laughs> celebrating or marking I think you him. guys just exemplified, you know, the problem with Voldemort is that he doesn't know love. You couldn't toast to him. He didn't yeah. get any love on his birthday. Mike didn't show me any so. love on New Year's Eve, so that's, <laughs> that's how he paid well, tribute. So I'm making reparations. I said today we should talk about... Voldemort's, or rather young Tom Riddle's family, the Gaunts. And um, this is going to be sort of a revisit to uh, Half-Blood Prince in particular. I know that the listeners do enjoy when we do these throwback uh, topics to older uh, or, you know, the original books. And this is mostly going to, a lot of the content on the Gaunts actually comes to us from Chapter 10 of Half-Blood Prince called The House of Gaunt. (laughs) So... We learn all about not only uh, Tom Riddle's mom, Merope, but also her brother, Morphin, and her father, Marvolo, for whom Tom gets his middle name. And without that letter V in Marvolo, we could not have Voldemort, let me tell you. What are the chances that it would just work out that way? (laughs) But just to go off of what you said and looking at the definition of the word gaunt, um, when you're referring to a person, it generally means lean and haggard, usually due to suffering, hunger, or age. Yes, I'm reading from the dictionary right now, but some synonyms are drawn, thin, lean, skinny, spare, bony. And I think this describes this family to a T. Do you think she went into the dictionary and was like, how, hmm, oh, this word works. (laughs) Well, and in the wizarding world, it's a whole nother angle too, because it's one of the oldest pure blood families. So the name Gaunt has existed for very long. Like every wizard recognizes the surname as being one of the, what was it, original 13 or something? There's like a couple of, J.K. Rowling at one point, I think for charity, did a list of the pureblood families. And some of them had been crossed off because of how 
over time, the, the bloodline dies. But there were a certain number of names, and among those was Gaunt, one of the oldest. You know, and, and the Gaunts are derived, we find out from that chapter in Half-Blood Prince, from the Peverils, who are also, you know, pure blood, very popular. Yeah, and we also know that there's a strong Gaunt connection to Ilvermorny and the whole story around how that school came about. We talked about it back on episode 296. So yeah, I had forgot. I'm so glad you mentioned that again, because it was what Isolt Sayer flees Britain or is it Scotland to come to America and start a wizard school. She's fleeing from her, was it grandmother? Gormlaith Gaunt, her aunt Gormlaith Gaunt. And I just looked it up and it is in fact the sacred 28 the sacred twenty-eight. I want to be a part of the sacred twenty-eight of anything, right? Yeah, and Gaunt is on here as the twenty-eight pure blood wizards. So the interesting thing about talking about these characters is, I don't think we have any connection or relation to them in terms of like, like an emotional connection. Like, oh, these people are really inspiring because they're pretty terrible people. <laughs> They're really bad people. Yeah, so I don't think we can talk about them from like, you know, what do we learn from them? But one of the most interesting things about them is you mentioned the purebloods. They were doing a lot of inbreeding to keep their family purebloods. They would marry their cousins repeatedly. And it's thought that one of the reasons this family started going crazy is because they were just marrying each other and the bloodline was staying tight. Sounds familiar. Sounds a lot like Game of Thrones and the uh, Targaryens. Yeah. Mm. I don't watch that series, but yeah, absolutely. I think that um, we're meant to to see in this chapter, too, and it's what Dumbledore mentions to Harry either before or after the lesson. When they delve into the memory of Bob Ogden, and it's Bob Ogden showing up at the shack in Little Hangleton to basically take in or serve uh, Morphin a summons for what he did to actually Tom Riddle Sr. the night before. We just see Morphin in particular in the background, like, giggling as the whole chapter goes on. He's just manic with... He's he's just not a sane character. And I think that a lot of this is not... I mean, that's not malicious. That's simply he's legit crazy because not all of his chromosomes are in the right place. So I was wondering, I wanted to ask you all, and I'm sorry this is a dark question, but we're talking about dark characters. Is there anything so important to us about our families, like speaking Parseltongue or staying pure blood, that we'd marry our cousins to maintain it? Is there anything in your family that you'd be like, oh my gosh, we have to keep this going. I don't want to marry someone new outside of the family. I got to keep marrying Cousin Joe, Cousin Kara. No. I just named real cousins of mine. Isn't that creepy oh wow so- <laughs> are they listening <laughs> hope not <laughs> uh no i would not marry a cousin what if you had to marry a cousin to keep the brilliant dna in your family because your great granddaughter is going to become the next jk rowling what if you had to marry your cousin to create a family line that would lead to the next jk rowling Admittedly, I am not as well-versed on the actual medical consequences of inbreeding, but I would be very nervous about creating any offspring that would have a genetic disadvantage in the world today. Okay. So that's a no. You don't want to create the next J.K. Rowling. Well, I, you know, I, at what cost is what I ask. <laughs> at what cost? A lot of embarrassment. And then something else when I was reading up about the Gaunts, 
was, of course, this whole love spell thing. Do you want to explain that, Eric? Yeah, yeah. So in general, I quite enjoy this chapter of Half-Blood Prince, the, the House of Gaunt. I love how it's this story of this, you know, not social worker, but Bob Ogden is is just a guy who works for the ministry. He's the head of um he's the head of one of the departments at the ministry, so pretty cool guy has to come to this shack and basically get out with his life because these people are so backwoods and dangerous and angry. And the reason I bring this up is because having to go to <laughs> I'm trying to think. This reminds me of the scene in Cursed Child where the social worker goes to the home and finds just all these awful, awful scenarios. But for some reason in Half-Blood, it's treated with a more fantastical whim. And I don't know, even though we're we're witnessing a horrible situation, Marvolo is physically and emotionally abusive to Merope, who becomes Voldemort's mother. It really sets this tone for Merope as a sympathetic character. You feel really, really, really bad for Voldemort's mom. And... It's a tragic tale. Of course, she dies giving birth to him, but we see in this one chapter how she pines for Tom Riddle Sr. And we know that basically Tom Riddle was born out of coercion because Merope Gaunt, it is speculated, gives a love potion rather than, you know, like a uh, sort of Imperio charm uh, to him. Dumbledore suspects it was a love potion. And it's a tragic tale. She basically convinces Tom Riddle Sr. Or, or gives him the love potion. He leaves poor Cecilia, who we see in that chapter as well, riding on horseback with him, and he has a child with her. And at some point, Dumbledore also assumes, she, Merope truly believes that he will love her back and stops giving him the potion. And when Tom Riddle Sr. comes to, he immediately leaves her and slanders her and it breaks her heart and he wants nothing to do with her at all. And it's this tragic tale, but what makes it more complicated is that Voldemort as a result, or Tom Riddle as a child, is said to be incapable of love. Like, completely, again, genetically, but, like, just totally incapable of love. And it's problematic because Voldemort, who goes up to become a dictator, it sort of starts to make the case for can he be blamed for his actions at all? Even when Dumbledore meets him later in the book as a child, you have this child who tortures other children and relishes in the hate and has this weird sense of pride that is definitely from the gaunts that we meet or met. Could Tom Riddle Jr. have been fixed at all? Like, maybe if he didn't grow up in an orphanage, could he have somehow developed the feeling of love? It's weird because the gaunts certainly aren't, like... Uh, the ideal parenting environment, like if Marvolo were still alive and Uncle Morphin's hanging over, you know, I, I think at that point the bloodline was so tarnished and gone that I don't know what, what kind of a normal life Tom Riddle could have led. Did Voldemort ever find out that his mother put Tom Riddle Sr. under a potion? Because he seems to have so much disdain for his father, but he doesn't seem to ever reflect on the actual story behind what happened. I'm not saying it's right what was done, but I wonder if that I believe, I would believe have changed 100%. his perspective. Yeah. Because I think at first, you know, as a child, he um, says to Dumbledore, oh, you know, my dad must have been a great wizard, right? Because my mother wouldn't have died <laughs> if she had magic. He just doesn't know. But 
given that Tom Riddle Jr. goes to Little Hangleton and murders not only his father, but both of his grandparents, tells me that he had a long and very insightful conversation with them about what happened. And I, I imagine Tom Riddle Jr. confronting Tom Riddle Sr. and saying, why did you leave me? Why did you not raise me? Why, you know, I grew up in an orphanage. Why, 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 why? And Tom Riddle Sr. just being, look, dude, like your mom was crazy. She hoodwinked me. I didn't want anything to do with her. What can I do? And Tom Riddle just being so aggravated and so ashamed and reacting at that point, he'd already killed people, you know, reacting in the way that he knows best and to cast the death curse on them. But does Tom Riddle strike you as the type of person to to look for that conversation? Because to me, he kind of seems like the type of person who goes into that scenario, like seeing his father and already knowing exact like already in his head he knows he knows what he thinks he knows and i don't know i don't know if i think that he would be looking for any more explanation beyond what he is already convinced of yeah i can't picture him maybe very young i guess but i can't picture him being doing the whole why 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 thing what he knows and what dumbledore knows are way different but dumbledore was able to piece together that you know that bit about tom riddle senior saying he had been hoodwinked and all that I think if Voldemort, maybe not why, 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 okay, I over-exaggerated, but if Tom Riddle Jr. could ever be vulnerable, I think it would be the moment where he was confronted with his uh, his dad and trying to figure out maybe even what his mother saw in him or something. I think he would have, I, I don't know that he would have burst the door down like he did with the Potters, gone right up to the nursery and killed the baby. I don't think that would have happened at all with his father. I have another question for y'all. If you woke up one day from a love spell and realized, learned that you had conceived a child with someone under this love spell, would you try to love them anyway? The person or the child? The person first. I think I would consider it because if things worked under the love potion... Couldn't maybe they work without them as well? I know it's like a hard thing to realize. And I would actually kind of compare it to feeling similar to learning that someone hasn't loved you after a certain period of time. But maybe they should have tried to make it work. <laughs> Tom Sr. in particular. Honestly, what, what Merope gone, I mean, the importance of the chapter House of Gone shows us is that Merope is a sympathetic character. But what Merope gone did to Tom Riddle Sr. was rape. It was sexual assault. It was rape and it possibly quite a lot worse. And so it's difficult to say what Tom Riddle should have done otherwise or whether he should have still raised his child. It's these questions don't have easy answers. He should have still raised the child. It's a tragic story, but he still should have raised it because it's still his child. But that child is also the token of your abuser is the the reminder the constant reminder of it's we are struggling with this in recent events and 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 everything we always have since you know with the the whole abortion issue is tied into this as well should you raise a child that was created against your will i was just gonna say like it's a slippery slope and just prior to eric bringing up that point it's kind that's kind of where my thought line was going because i was gonna say that i think i would feel obligated to try and love the captor, I guess, so to so to speak, for the sake of the child, but then that becomes it's a, a slippery line to walk, especially given that it is an abuse, right? It's also a massive violation 
of trust too to be put under that kind of spell and if you're coming out the other side of it and you may not even know who that person is and have no real i mean this could also go to what you were saying earlier ashley in your discussion about memory charms is there does that play into any of this at all you know how much do you actually remember once the potion is is lifted do you remember anything or or is it just kind of a fuzzy memories over the course of however long you were under it but as far as as the child i would say that he should have taken steps to raise his son. That's just my personal feeling. But because he didn't, and because Voldemort raised up alone, and because of all the genetic markers against him and all these other factors, could Voldemort be excused for becoming a mass murderer? He really has the deck stacked against him. No, because I think you what we've done many times on this show is, and people have made the arguments, I know, in articles and in other places, is you juxtapose him with Harry who Voldemort is directly responsible for Harry being an orphan. And you look at Harry's upbringing, which was terrible, and you look at the type of person that he became. But Harry can love. Tom Riddle can't. Love bounces off him like a light on a mirror. So you think he could never have that ability? I think he was born with that ability. He was not born because of the fact that he was born as a result of a love potion. He is incapable of loving. So it's not even Tom Riddle Jr.'s fault that he was born of a love potion. That's his mom's fault. But Rowling said it's at one point that that meant that he physically cannot or emotionally cannot. Voldemort can But I think Tom Riddle Jr. could have. Interesting. Maybe he could have continued to be injected with that love potion to feel love. <laughs> Maybe he needs to take a trip to the Department of Ministry or Mysteries and uh, go hang out in the love room. Yeah. Room of requirement. Get some love. But yeah, it's sort of problematic, that quote that J.K. Rowling said, which I can find it, but I'm sure it's at like uh, Carnegie Hall or, or one of those interviews where she said that. And then just one thing on uh, Merope, because I was reading what Gaunt meant earlier, I also looked into her background from a name origin standpoint. I used to run the name origin section on MuggleNet way back in the day. And there are many instances of a character named Merope, but specifically in Greek mythology, she was one of the seven Pleiades, who were the daughters of Atlas and Pleione. And the interesting part of this is that Orion, the hunter, we all know Orion's belt up in the sky, pursued all of these sisters and Artemis asked Zeus to protect these sisters. And so they were put up into the sky as stars. The interesting thing about Merope is she is the faintest of the stars because she was the only one of the Pleiades to have married a mortal. Oh, God. Sounds interesting, right? There's that J.K. Rowling research. (laughs) Now, our Merope is a little different because it seems like this marriage was consensual that the one in Greek mythology had. But again, you know, Rowling always draws from so many different places, not just Greek mythology, but there's always that subtext that I find interesting. And it's why I've I've enjoyed reading the series. Yeah, let's uh, just bring it current kind of with the question that I believe Micah put in the document or it's down here. Yeah. Do we foresee the Gaunt family playing a role in Fantastic Beasts? So we've mentioned this before, but Tom Riddle Jr., known as Voldemort, Tom Marvolo Riddle, was born uh, about a month or a couple days after 
the first Fantastic Beast film ends. Which means, even though Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald will take place three or four months later, unfortunately, Merope Gaunt is dead. And I believe as well, based on text from the House of Gaunt chapter in Hepler Prince, that Marvolo is also dead. And the only living Gaunt, therefore, might be Morphin, who I believe might be an Azkaban. I could see a reference coming up, but I kind of doubt there's going to be a significant role for them. Yeah, it's always possible, right? I mean, we know that Tom Riddle Jr. is a direct descendant, so I, I was hoping for more than just him coming up in some way, shape, or form in the later films. We know Harry, while not a descendant, is related to the Gaunt family in Slytherin through the Peverils. So there's the chance that we could see somebody, and and also with the Ilvermorny connection. So we know the family, it was your point earlier, Eric, that the family has pretty much been extinguished by this point. Right. You know what, I've just, I'm learning this now, but the Sacred 28 comes from a Pottermore post of pure blood is the entry. And in this article about being pure blood, J.K. Rowling gives this list, but the list is described as being the 28 British families that were still truly pure blood by the 1930s. And by saying by the 1930s, then we know that Fantastic Beasts is 1927. This is a pretty good, I mean, it seems like this is an intentional helper from J.K. Rowling to us to tell us which pure bloods are still in the world and may affect Fantastic Beasts. You know who's on this list? Rosier. Rosier. The Rosier family, the Knott family, N-O-T-T, are both on this list, as well as Gaunt, which, considering she said by the 1930s and Gaunt is on this list, probably means that Morphin is still alive, but he would be the very last Gaunt. It's just very, very, very interesting. Other names on here that we would recognize are Bolstrode, Caro, Fowley, Flint, Lestrange, Longbottom, Macmillan, and Shacklebolt, as well as Travers and Yaxley and Rowell. A lot of Death Eaters are purebloods. All right. That's a discussion for another time. Yep. If you have yeah. any feedback, feel free to contact us. We'll give you the contact info at the end of the show. We'd love to hear your feedback. And speaking of feedback, Jennifer, who's listening live on patreon.com slash mugglecast. Actually, just getting back to your discussion for a second, she said maybe they could just throw Jacob in a pensieve to have him remember all of what happened from Newt's point of view. <laughs> That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a perfect setup for a montage scene, Andrew. Yeah, I was well, I was just gonna say I would watch that montage because we're gonna get some pensive action. I think that's kinda cool. That's what he's carrying in his hand in that photo. Yeah. <laughs> pensive. <laughs> well, he is holding a pot. <laughs> he's a baker though. Yeah. But I mean like he could stick his head in the pot, the pensive pot. There's the show title, Pensive Pot. All right, we are going to and speaking of more feedback. We are going to have an email. We also got a text in a second. But we have another new sponsor this year, RX Bar. You may have seen them in your local food store. RX Bars are whole food protein bars. The company which actually distributes their bars. I have one right here, actually. They're based in Chicago. They started in 2013 when the founders called BS on protein bars. They couldn't find one out there that wasn't full of artificial ingredients fillers, preservatives, and just general BS. So they set out to create a bar with a few simple, clean ingredients where every ingredient serves a purpose. And here's one of my favorite parts about them. And this is why they're so unique. And 
you might recognize them once I say this. They put the core ingredients right on the front of the label nice and big. I'm holding the chocolate sea salt one right now. and Nice and big. It's like the whole label. It just says three egg whites, six almonds, four cashews, two dates, no BS. They use real ingredients to create a quality product. It's just that simple. The egg whites are for protein. The dates bind the ingredients. And then there's nuts for texture. That's it. RX Bar comes in 11 delicious flavor varieties. They have no added sugar, no artificial colors, no artificial flavors, no preservatives, no fillers. They're great as a breakfast, an afternoon snack, a pre- or post-workout snack, or a little side with your lunch or dinner. That's what I use them for. They offer chocolate and fruit flavors. I'm more of a chocolate guy myself, so I've been sticking with those. Uh, The chocolate sea salt one is definitely my favorite. They are delicious, and I enjoy the snack bar. Like I said, typically with lunch or dinner, these are my new go-tos because I know exactly what I'm getting out of them, and they're a great source of protein. The sea salt one actually has 12 grams of protein, and they taste great. So I want you to try them. You can get 25% off your first order by going to rxbar.com slash MuggleCast and enter promo code MuggleCast at checkout. And on that note, I'm going to eat this delicious sea salt one right now. Micah, can you read the first email, please? <laughs> sure. Uh, while you enjoy your RX bar. Mm, thank you. Uh, I will. First mm. email nom. comes from Haley. Nom, 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 oh, nom. Okay. That's not what Haley said. She said, I'm a relatively new listener, um, listening for a few months during my commute and is also a patron of the show. I've never really been a part of a Harry Potter community, so I love your podcast. I'm going to a celebration of Harry Potter at Universal the weekend of January 26th, so I've had the theme parks on my brain. Not only the ride replacement for Dragon Challenge, but I have the inside scoop that Fear Factor Live will be, and it's in bold and italics, replaced with the third expansion of The Wizarding World possibly the Ministry of Magic. In addition to this, there have been rumors that Men in Black will also be closing, and that ride is right next to Fear Factor Live. Could this mean a huge expansion of Harry Potter World, Wizarding World, uh, with the addition of the Forbidden Forest and the rumored Ministry of Magic? What else could they add that's so iconic? I'd love to hear even more speculation from y'all. Also, I think we'll get a Beast trailer at a panel during a celebration of Harry Potter and before the Maze Runner movie. The Maze Runner comes out the same weekend as the event, and the timeline is right. So that's my guess. Keep doing what you're doing, Haley. That's a great point. I'd talk more, but I'm still eating this RX bar. (laughs) Yeah, for for the... (laughs) So I don't know what inside info she's quoting. I haven't heard inside info like this, but... I do like this idea that the Beast trailer will be at Celebration of Harry Potter. And then I speculated the Maze Runner. That is a perfect pairing because Maze Runner is a YA audience. What kind of themed lands would you guys like to see at the Wizarding World? That's a good question. I mean, if they could make like, if we could flush ourselves into a toilet to get to the ministry, that would be pretty cool. I'm not so sure about that. I would just take the uh, phone booth down. I don't need to step in a toilet and flush myself. Yeah, I don't know. But like Fear Factor, like that's a lot of space, you guys, that they're recovering. Like if Men in Black goes as well, that is a – we're talking about Harry Potter already taking up a huge percentage of real estate in the Universal Studios theme parks. This is just insane. Well, 
I would just say to Haley, do some more digging because you're very confident that Fear Factor Live is going to be replaced with this expansion. I want you to be confident with what it's being replaced with because the question right after that was <laughs> possibly Ministry of Magic. You should know the answer. Yeah, Haley, do all the work. <laughs> do all the work. Come hold on. our hand through this. No, but that, that was a good email. And then we also got a text message here going off our conversation last week when we we're looking at the movies moving to HBO and, and we asked listeners to rank them in order of which one they'd most like to watch. And this is from Kennedy, who said, you guys mentioned Chamber of Secrets had fewest votes for first movie to watch on HBO. Personally, my least favorite book and movie are Chamber of Secrets. If you really think about it, Chamber of Secrets is essentially the same plot as Sorcerer's Stone. Trio does sleuthing all year to solve a mystery, have to solve puzzles to get into underground chamber, defense against the dark arts professor involved, and ultimately Harry must go alone to face Voldemort. Couldn't you in a way argue that that's kind of a little bit the structure of a good chunk of the books? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but actually, right? Yeah, for a large part. I mean, usually the, the DADA teacher is always involved in some way, shape, or form. And Harry, with the exception of book three, right, is the only one where... And, and it's and the only one would, without Voldemort six, as well. Right, he's done, yeah, he doesn't face... He doesn't face Voldemort in some capacity at the end. Uh, well, he face it's if well, it's to get a Horcrux, so maybe kind of. But <laughs> I don't know if I really buy this reason for be like I respect that it's your least favorite book and movie for this reason, but I don't know if that's why most people would have thought that way. A lot of people consider movies one and two very similar to each other, thanks in part to the director. So maybe that's a reason as well, just visually. It really didn't occur to me until reading this text message and also last weekend playing Lego Harry Potter with Micah that both the underground chamber of secrets and the corridor where the children go to get the Sorcerer's Stone from its uh, protection is also they fall miles under the school to get to that that area where the stone is being kept inside the mirror. And so, yes, they are both quite similar. They're both underground tunnels. And it's weird that Dumbledore and all of the teachers, when they were putting their protections together for these, this weird corridor under the school, didn't bump into you know, any pipes that led directly to the Chamber of Secrets. Well, that that's on Dumbledore's uh, top 14 resolutions of 2018 to better, <laughs> better inspect the school for secret passages. I will better inspect the school. Oh, he's back. Hello. Hey, Dumbledore has never left, actually. Oh. Um, he never left. So I thought to start off the year, we'd bring back a segment that we've done a couple of times on the show. And uh, it, I think it gives newer listeners in particular the opportunity to go back and listen to some of our older episodes. So this week in MuggleCast history, uh, we have four episodes that, that I pulled from the archives. The first is episode 189, which was called High Roller, and it was back in, in 2010. And uh, it ties a little bit into the discussion we just had about the Gaunts because it's on the final three chapters of Chamber of Secrets. And so this was back when we were pretty adamant about our book discussion. We went chapter by chapter and I'm sure it's interesting always to go back and see what we thought about things, in this case, once the series was was concluded. But Kennedy will not be interested because we were talking about Chamber of Secrets, her least favorite That's book. right. He's <laughs> <laughs> or her. Then episode 168, live and rated PG. This was back in 2009. And this was our Half-Blood Prince movie discussion. Eric, I think you had just seen the movie. It may have been at a screening. So you had some 
insight into the film that I don't think the rest of the hosts did just yet. Is that the test screening? I think that so. That must have been the test screening in Chicago. I remember calling you up right afterwards, Andrew, and you were on Santa Monica Beach. <laughs> Smoking a cigar, <laughs> drinking a martini. And I said, I just saw Half-Blood Prince. It was crazy. So what, kid? And No, that's yeah. cool. So we put we... We quickly made that episode then. If that's the one, then that's the one. Well, would you have seen it in January? When, Probably. When did Half-Blood Prince come that out? That was the that's summer. Yeah, Half-Blood Prince was a, was a June mo- – yeah, Half-Blood Prince was a summer release. So, yeah, it would have been that, January. That makes sense. Episode 128, Questionable Questions. This was in 2008, so 10 years ago. Crazy to think about. Well, we were speculating about the Deathly Hallows movie being split into two parts. I can't believe it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> also on this episode, we talked about uh, J.K. Rowling announcing her plans uh, to speak at the uh, Harvard commencement. It's and For anybody who hasn't watched or read her speech, I highly encourage it. It's very, very good. It's interesting that you bring up this episode and this happened 10 years ago this month, them splitting Deathly Hollows into two movies that started a trend with Twilight, The Hunger Games miraculously did not happen with 50 shades oh it happened with divergent but then the second movie never came out they canceled it like this has been bombing and i think i think this trend is over now unless another series that's as large as harry potter comes along and they can get away with it i guess they also really did it with the hobbit too and also what's funny about this i have a story that i've never told on mugglecast it's not exactly kid friendly but i'll keep it kid friendly so back in 2008 i was in college and I still remember where I was when I found out the news that Warner Brothers announced they were splitting the final book into two movies. I was in the library, quote unquote, studying, and I had my laptop with me. And back in those days, we would use AOL Instant Messenger to talk with people, which recently shut down. Rip AIM. So I was on AIM and I hear the news and I'm, I'm running Mugonet back then, head, heading up the news. And I read the news and for whatever reason, I have to run back to my dorm to get something to report on the news. I don't know what it was. So I keep my laptop open in the library, which is dangerous. This is like an expensive MacBook Pro. I keep it open in the library. I run back to my dorm. I don't knock on my dorm, who I share. I share it with a roommate. And I walk in on my roommate doing something inappropriate. And it's like, oh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. I just run in. I grab what I needed to grab. And I run out. And I was so embarrassed. But... He had he didn't think I was coming back because I left AIM open in the library. He thought I was still at the library. So it was safe to do oh. that way. So I felt so You didn't put up an away message no, it, back in 2008? I violated, you know, a personal contract. We all used to, you know, know where people were if they were on AIM because if you were on AIM, you were actually sitting on your computer at the time. So I you should have just bad. instant messaged him because maybe what he was doing, he was using his computer too. I don't know, but yes. I'm just taking a guess. Yes, but he would have he would have known to uh, <laughs> take oh, a break. So embarrassing! I'll, I'll never take forget walking in on him. <laughs> Thanks, Warner Brothers. Anyway, yeah, uh, and then finally, not that I can follow that, but uh, episode seventy two. Micah's Yule Ball Plans. This was back in 2007. And this was a big episode because we actually sat down and we're talking about Deathly Hallows book title. What the hell did it mean? We had no idea. I was looking through the show notes, reading it. We had all different theories about what it meant. Was it tied to Halloween? 
There was stuff related to what was going on on J.K. Rowling's website. So this was probably in like the crux of some of our best discussion. Yeah, speculation. Yeah, for sure. I just remember we got really hung up on the deluxe edition of the cover because of the dragon. And we thought the dragon would maybe play a gigantic role. And it played a significant role, but it wasn't like crucial to the book. How did your Yule Ball go, by the way, then, Micah? The one that you were planning? I'm not sure what that's in relation to. The U-Ball probably came up and we're like, oh, Micah, you got some plans for the U-Ball? Ha ha ha. We're so funny. <laughs> probably. Where are we going in 2007? That Did we go to a con that would have had a U-Ball? Oh, yeah. Well, in the summer, there was a con. Dallas, maybe? No, that was 2008. The, the 2007 one was up in Canada. I don't think you went to it. I was not. So... That answers that question. I've got stories from that con. Off the oh, that was Toronto. For Patreon. Ashley, yeah, Toronto. were you there? Huh? Heard it. Uh, prophecy. It was prophecy. prophecy there yeah. you go. Have you ever been to a Harry Potter conference, Ashley? I haven't. No. They're good. They're good. I would imagine so. We'll actually have news uh, concerning our involvement with the Harry Potter conference in probably a couple of weeks. Eric, time for some quizage. Quizage. Awesome. Well, this was a a particularly satisfying round of Quizich because the first few people to enter actually did get the question wrong. I stumped them. Yay. But the question from last week's episode's Quizich was, what are the three Ds of apparition in correct order? So a lot of people got it, but were, it was out of order. So the three Ds, the correct answer is destination, determination, and deliberation. Now, to be fair, I would have gotten these wrong. I tend to think that deliberation would have come sooner. But Le Mate at Luna Leclerc on Twitter was the first person to tweet at MuggleCast and get the correct answer for Quizich. So congratulations, Luna Leclerc. And also shout out to everybody who entered. Going to read a couple more people. Hannah Lynn H. Hermione said that. There was Luna Leclerc. There was Chloe Ewer who said determination, deliberation, destination. That is wrong. And yeah, in general, we actually got a lot of replies. Jeff Harvey, a bunch of others, Kate Copacate on Twitter. So thank you very much uh, for everybody who entered. Another exciting question for this week, which is as follows. To whom in the Harry Potter universe is Mr. Mark Evans related? Who is Mark Evans related to mm. is this week's Quizage question. I know the answer. I yeah, think. Send us uh, send us the answer via our Twitter. Twitter.com slash MuggleCast. We also got Facebook.com slash MuggleCast. We'd love if you followed and liked both of those pages. We'd also appreciate, by the way, review over on iTunes. It's always good to get reviews on iTunes uh, so people can see our listing, I guess you would call it, <laughs> staying active with fresh reviews if you'd like to contact us in other ways we have our phone number we'd love if you left a voicemail with a question or comment it's one nine two oh three muggle that's one nine two oh three six eight four four five three we're also available at mugglecast at gmail.com and by good old-fashioned pen and paper maybe it's your priority 4044 north lincoln avenue box 144 chicago il 60618 and finally what keeps this show going weekly? Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. We'd love your support there, whether it's at the 2 5 or $10 level. 
We're planning new benefits for 2018, including we're planning something called the 777 Challenge. So we'll have... You guys are going to love it. More. Yes, I think so as well. We'll have more on that in the weeks and months ahead. You can also get the alternate episode 350, which we recorded while photo shooting a couple of weeks ago, which was a lot of fun. And you can also join us every weekend for the live stream. Thanks, everybody who's joining us right now. And, of course, at the Slick Club level, there's the benefits of potentially being a co-host on the show. We're going to try to get through everybody. It's going to take a while, but we are going to do it. Ashley was this week. Thanks for joining us, Ashley. Hope you had fun. I did. Thanks for having me. You were great. Well, thank you. I got to ask you, Ashley, have, have you listened to the alternate 350? I haven't yet. I was reading that in the notes. and I was like, what is this? So now I'm going to go do it after we're done. Yeah, this. over on our Patreon, it's listed as a bonus episode 349.9999999. Well, also, <laughs> we hope you have time, Ashley, because we're about to record alternate 351. We didn't ask you to be here, <laughs> oh, yeah. but we hope you can join us. <laughs> um, oh, actually, we, one more patron announcement. Ashley, are you in the Facebook group as well? I'm not. Okay. People don't know how to join, and it's because I, I sent a post. There's very clearly a post on our Patreon that explains exactly how to join, but for our Dumbledore's Army and Above members, you are all entitled to join us on our Facebook group. And this is something we mentioned last week. They're running Secret Santas with each other. It's very social. It's very exciting. Micah's in there all the time. And we're just, you know, it's it's really a great uh, new community effort that's a bonus for patrons only. So we have a Facebook group, and what you've got to do is there's a form. I'm going to repost a link on Patreon. I'm saying this on the podcast because people also don't read what we post on Patreon. So please go to Patreon. There's a form to fill out, and then I will immediately add you to the Facebook group. We have 400 people who deserve to be in that Facebook group but can't, haven't gotten in yet. So please join us. There was one lie in something that Eric just said. And Mike is quizzes, not in there all the time. Oh, you just blew it. It's going to be a <laughs> second <laughs> quizage question. What was the lie in what Eric just said? <laughs> oh, man. But yes, uh, we, we do tend to monitor it. We love it. And everyone, yeah, we have lots of patrons who are totally entitled to be there. So please, uh, that's, I got a lot of emails the last week like, hey, I'm not in. How do I get in? And there's a special form. It has to do with the fact that people are using different email addresses these days for all their different accounts. And it's the only way we can be safe and secure. So it's like the room of requirement for MuggleCast listeners is the uh, secret Dumbledore's Army Facebook group. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. It's been a fun episode. We will be back next week. Thank you again, Ashley. You're great. Also, I was going to say, I think you're probably the first person to plan like a discussion. So that was cool as well. Thank you for doing that. Was that was awesome. Yeah. Oh, well, I wear that hat with pride, too. <laughs> first park podcaster, first guest discussion creator. I'm setting the bar high first for 2018, guys. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm uh, Micah. And I'm Ashley. Yep. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> See everybody yes, next you time. are. Goodbye. <laughs> <I think we're laughs> Bye.